Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Atheist experience. Today is Sunday, March 17th, 2019. It is St. Patrick's Day. Aye. Yeah. Green Day. Uh, and I'm your host, Tracy Harris. With me today is co-host Don Baker. Hey, good to be here. Hey. The Atheist Experience is a production of the Atheist Community of Austin, a Texas nonprofit educational organization dedicated to the separation of religion and government and the promotion of positive atheist culture. Join us for dinner after the show at the ACA studio, which is also the Free Thought Library on Koenig, uh, for a pizza party. We do, I was asked to say that we do take donations for the dinner, although the meal is free and open to the public. I'm mentioning this tonight because it's becoming a popular event, which is <laughs> okay. a double-edged sword. It's awesome that so many people are coming out to participate. The dinners are huge, and I love the fact that, um, you know, we're able to serve the community in this way. Uh, the downside is the cost goes up as more yeah, people attend. Yeah. So you're still welcome to come. There's no pressure to donate, but you know, if you can, just kind of keep it in mind. If you got a couple bucks, be re- super helpful. So thanks very much. And again, it's, it's kind of a good problem to have. Yep. Right. Yeah. So that's all good. The notes for today are that the Atheist Day is happening at the Austin Capitol in uh, March 23rd. That's Saturday. So that's coming up pretty quickly. I'm going to be there as well as lots of other people. I think Seth is coming out. You're uh, a speaker even. You're not, yeah. you're not just going to be there. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to have a lot, a series of, you know, 10 minute uh, talks like, you know, bang, 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 going okay. down like that. So okay. lots of people are going to be there, lots of people on the roster. And then I think there's other events later in the day. Um, I've heard all kinds of things going to be going on. So feel free to come out and participate in whatever's happening. Um, I'm pretty sure they're going to have more information. I should have probably asked about, you know, where to get more. Inf- they have an ad. So is, are we running the ad? Okay, okay. let's run the ad. <laughs> Around the world, secular groups are gathering this March to celebrate the first International Atheist Day. While we encourage atheist groups to come together and celebrate, we invite you to join us. Because lacking religion does not constitute hate. Because in many parts of the world, disbelief can have tragic consequences. Because it's time to create an international community. Because where we can be counted, we should. Stand up this March 23rd and join us as we demand to be counted. 
yeah. Nice. Yeah, feel free to come out and show your support. I encourage you to do so. Uh, also, if you're not in Austin, check and see if any of your groups are doing things for Atheist Day. And also, our March newsletter is out. So be looking for that. Should be hitting any time. And finally, oh, there's the newsletter. <laughs> okay. You can sign up now. Um, yeah, feel free. There it is. Okay. It's gorgeous. <laughs> Also, Talk Heathen and the Atheist Experience are going to American Atheists in Cincinnati. That's going to happen on April 19th to 21, 2019. So that's this year, and there's more info that's to come. And that was, you know, be looking for more info, like the info that's up there right now. Okay. That's even more info. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I I can handle more info. Okay. With that... You are the topic guy. I have I have a topic, and I have a, another round of failures today. Okay. Um, today's topic is failures in the news, and uh, this is uh, number 62 if you're keeping track. Um, there are three sets of stories in the news lately, maybe in the last month or so, and all of them show failure-like behavior. Um, and if you need even more evidence of Christ- the failures of Christianity, you can take a look at these. Um so, uh, first off is the United Methodist Church split or potential split. Oh, yeah. Uh, they had a, uh, a big, uh, conference recently where, um, and they had a big, a big issue over the, uh, split over the same sex marriage or the ordination of LGBT clergy. Mm-hmm. And the conference, uh, 53% voted to keep and strengthen these bans. Um, but there's a, a pretty, uh, active, uh, constituency side of yeah, the liberals yeah. that, that are agitating they for are. more open. Um, and so there's, there's still this ongoing tension. I, I don't think it's been resolved by any means. They had a vote and they, they kind of squashed the liberals at this point. Uh, so they're just going to have to put up or put up or leave. Um, the Methodist solution, uh, one clergy member says, we're not leaving. Uh, so the issue is going to continue to fester until it there's is. a split. Neither side is going to be able to convince the other. And it's too bad there's no higher authority to which they can appeal and get the right answer. <laughs> can someone come down and tell yeah. us who's right? right? No, no. In fact, they can't. They can't. And so, and meanwhile, here in Austin, a local Methodist church uh, took out an ad claiming to be inclusive despite the news to try to try to get folks in the door. But the secular take on this is uh, both sides agree on so many things. They should get together. They they both worship an invisible, mass-murdering God. They both pretend their religion doesn't endorse genocide, child sacrifice, because God, God says so. Slavery, <laughs> uh, subjugation of women, burning of witches, that, that, that's all fine. And they both agree that the Bible solution for homosexuality is to kill them. <laughs> but they ignore it. So, so, uh, so it seems very silly to me to be arguing about this because the Bible is very clear about what you should do with homosexuality. Um, ultimately, very clearly, this is a business decision. One side thinks they can make money by appealing to gays and the young liberals who independently support same-sex marriage and rights. And this is kind of the, the wave of the future. And the other side thinks they can make more money selling the traditional hate and the traditional way of doing things. And sadly, both are right. This has nothing to do with the objective truth. They'll just keep, they'll just keep, uh, in the parasite business. Uh, and, and potentially have a schism here. 
um, which basically means that there's no no objective reality to this. They're, they're just going to split. So that's that's what's going on there. I do want to insert, yeah. like in the interest of fairness, um, we did have on as a guest on Godless Bitches um, the pastor for Trinity United Methodist okay. who hosts the atheist okay. events pretty often. And he came on to talk about inclusion and how they're viewing this. Mm -hmm. And one of the points that he made is that there are gay youth in the church and that if everybody abandons them, like if, if people leave, if the people who support them leave and leave them to the people who are bigots, that these kids have nowhere to go and nobody to turn to. Mm. And so one of the things that he was saying is that he has had gay youth come to him from the, within the church and say, I know that you are someone I can talk to. Mm. And so there is an important, you know, I, I understand what you're saying about it is broader marketing for sure, but there are real human reasons to have that kind of inclusion even within a church system and maybe even more importantly within a church That's system. That's an interesting perspective. Yeah. So I did, I did want to bring that up because it yeah, was like, a, it was a good point. And, mm -hmm. you know, that was a good interview. Um, I'm trying to think if we're, if I think that was the, I can never remember because we, we record one and we release one live. And I think that that's the one that's recorded. So that should either have aired like Saturday or will air Saturday. Oh, I, I think it, tape, it tape airs delay, this huh? Saturday. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just, just you're, heard. You're going to prognosticate what the show will be about. Oh, it did air this Saturday. Oh. Is that? Okay. So it was the last show okay. that aired for Godless Bitches. And, and oh. that was a very good interview um, on inclusion with and, and the issue of the schism in the Methodist Church. So I do want to bring that up. Okay. Uh, next up, uh, we have the more on the Catholic abuse, Catholic sex abuse thing. Um, some law enforcement officials are finally investigating the systematic abuse cover-up by the Catholic Church. New York Times, uh, this is in uh, Pennsylvania. New York Times called the report the broadest examination yet by a government agency in the United States of uh, child sexual abuse in the Catholic Church, which to me is quite sad. <laughs> Because we've got 50 states, and Pennsylvania isn't even one of the larger ones. <laughs> right. <laughs> what about Texas? What about California? Right, where what you're going to have a high percentage of Catholicism, that's right? right? I mean, so, yeah. Yeah, the Northeast is very Catholic. Anyway, in Pennsylvania, hundreds of cases of abuse were uncovered, possibly numbering, um, numbering in the thousands. Uh, I think it was over a 1,000. 300 plus predator priests. Um, to be fair, this abuse spanned 60 years and, um, most of the incidences are older and past the statute of limitations. So in a, in a sense, they're sort of digging up the old dirt. Um, the Vatican says by finding almost no cases after 2002, the grand jury's conclusions are consistent with the previous studies showing that the Catholic Church reforms in the United States drastically reduced the incidence of clergy child abuse, which is fair enough, is true, true perhaps. They, yeah, they, yeah, that's one interpretation of the data. Yeah. So that, that's, uh, so, so there's a, a mixed bag here. Yeah. Um, uh, one one solution to this in, in the Catholic Church is, uh, um, I mean, I hope they are cleaning up the act. Let me just say that. Well, I, I hope yeah. that, I hope that is the right interpretation of the data. I hope that it is true that they are it, cleaning it up and learning that you you don't hide this stuff. That it actually helps you to get it out right away. But I heard an interview that was very disappointing where somebody was talking about a particular um, you know church authority who had been you know just found to be guilty. 
And one of the things they were talking about was what to do with the person. And um, they were like, so do, you know, should they just be defrocked? And they were like, oh, no, no, they should just, you know, be transferred out of, of pastoral work, right? Like not be overseeing a church, you know, a church group. And I'm thinking, why do you want that person working in your organization? Like, why would you keep that in your organization? This is not just a person who's attracted to kids. This is a person who abused children. Yeah. So why would you, you know, right? That this is this is somebody that that isn't just you know dealing with an issue. This is somebody that crosses a line, right? Well, there seems to be a, a favoritism of the people um, in the clergy over the children, and that's that's what's upsetting to so many folks, right? Oh, some of the quotes are horrendous. Yeah, yeah. Blaming these little children for. I can't even, you know, I mean, what do you even say to that when somebody tries to imply that the child is somehow responsible for being molested or sexually abused? Yeah. I, you, yeah. Well, no. that's, that's just <laughs> no. beyond the pale, I think. Yeah. Well, um, w- one solution to this, to this problem seems to be, uh, one Catholic solution seems to be to, uh, hide, hide the abuse and cover up and destroy documents in February. German Cardinal Reinhard Marx shed light on the institution's many failures to tamp down on the problem, telling a gathering of more than 190 bishops from around the globe that the rights of victims were effectively trampled underfoot and that it is destroying documents and failing to compile records that could have been used to prosecute perpetrators. And this this is from Vox.com, February 23rd. And this is, uh, you know... If you're going to have these grand jury investigations, destroying documents is a great way to kind of, you know, right. remove yourself from from view. Well, and that would be the other interpretation of data, right? Right. Sometimes data shows things have gotten better because things have gotten better, and sometimes it shows things have gotten better because you've gotten better at hiding it. Right. So <laughs> I, you know, I I don't want you know I, I obviously anybody should want to want it to be true that they are cleaning up the act. Yeah. Um, but if they're not, you don't want to hide your head in the sand and. And not know well, about it. I, I don't. I don't think they are. I mean, if you if you count the uh, the number of folks going to jail yeah. over these things, it's it's you know single digit numbers. It's very small. Um, and and there needs the, to be law enforcement. I mean, they just need to turn them over to law enforcement. Right. The end. Here you go. The number the number of victims is is in the tens of thousands mm-hmm. globally. It's really interesting too to hear like how many people. Um, it, Globally, but in the U.S. as well, like freak out at the idea of like, oh, you know, you have these Muslims that adhere to Sharia law, you know, and and they have their own law and blah blah blah. And it's like, so do these churches, oh, yeah. right? I mean, the churches are the same way. They they handle this stuff internally, and they are so loath to make this a public thing or to turn it over to law enforcement. And sometimes they fight that, oh, right? Absolutely. And they'll say like, oh no no no, we, this we, is a church we're issue. Gonna hand- right? Yeah, and you see the same thing sometimes with universities, right? University organizations who say, no no no, this is a campus issue, and we're not, you know, we don't have to. We're and it's like, wow, you know, wow, that looks <laughs> that doesn't look suspicious at all, right? Um, like your, your like your rights disappear yeah, when you when you cross these, some imaginary yeah, border. Right? All these weird little you know lines in the sand for these organizations, basically saying that you know the rules don't apply to us, mm-hmm. and that that crap's got to end. Yep, absolutely. Like we keep hearing nobody's above the law, and it's like yeah, nobody's above the law. How about that? And, and not even religion. Right, right. Well, uh, another Catholic solution is uh, has played out in the news le- recently, and that is uh, Theodore McCarrick, a uh, former cardinal who is now 88, was f- dismissed from the clergy in February for sexual crimes against adults, minors, and abuse of power. 
and has been ordered to a life of prayer and penance. And um, Which I'm assuming he was probably doing anyway if he's a priest, right? Right. Like, so right. just keep doing what you're doing, dude. And apparently this went on for decades without police action. And, and in my view, this is kind of a retirement party for someone who led a privileged yeah. life and was protected by the church and free from responsibility for his actions. Yeah. And this type of response by the Vatican is a type of theater for the benefit of the gullible to, to lead people to believe that something, something's being done. Right. And, you know, uh, defrocking somebody who's in, who's 88 and is on death's door. Yeah. Well, the example I always, <laughs> this it it, is nothing. The example <laughs> that I always go back to is the one where the Pope basically, you know, they were, he got all those headlines about how he was relaxing the restrictions on condoms. And what it turned out was that he had said that in areas of Africa that are like, you know, high, where, where high HIV rates are mm -hmm. reported, mm -hmm. that male prostitutes may wear condoms. And it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> like the male prostitutes in, you know, HIV high rate African right. nations are worried about whether or not God wants them to wear a condom. Like, like no, that, Catholic, that really helps. Catholic is all about <laughs> like, making changed? babies. Right, but if, I guess if, what I'm saying is... If they're male prostitutes, I, they're not going to be making babies. Right, so well, right. That's why that they're saying that's all right. I'm sure that was what part of what factored into it. But what I'm saying is, since when does a male prostitute care if God is, you know, concerned about his condom use? I mean, this is a person that is doing... Oh, right. You know what I mean? Right. It's like you're out there ha having... This guy is, is out there having gay sex, and they think that he's waiting for the Pope to tell him that he can wear a condom, <laughs> right? And I'm like... Uh, the Pope is already, yeah, you know, the church is already telling him not to do what he's doing, and he's doing it. So what makes them think that this is yeah, going to change yeah. anybody's behavior? It's, it's an obvious comment by somebody who's delusional. It's right? just one yeah. of those things where the church is basically pretending to do something, and it's done nothing. Mm -hmm. These are not the people that are giving crap what the Pope says is okay to do or not, or what the Catholic Church sanctions or doesn't sanction. Right, right. So they, but but yet if you go back and look at those headlines, it was just praise for oh he's you know he's, he's oh, really yeah. relaxing yeah. the condom thing. That's it's, a pet it's peeve a... of mine. The, the news <laughs> fawns over the Catholic Church and, and yeah. always gives them the benefit of the doubt. But it's always... a great PR machine, right? I mean, yes. it's, it's just like you get all these headlines, you get all this praise, you get, you know, oh, there's becoming so much more progressive. It's like he just did nothing. Like absolutely nothing changed right. in reality. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all spin and theater. Yeah. That's what it reminds me of when you say that. that right. Oh, it's just for show. Right. So the, I think the secular solution for for these priests is, uh, you know, regretfully the statute of limitations uh, inhibits justice for a lot of these folks, which is unbelievable. Yeah, some things don't have statutes, and this might be one of yeah. them. Yeah, and I'm I'm at least as angry with the complicit law enforcement as I am with the church because uh, they should be doing their job. And uh, are there any other states that value uh, children above priests in the United States? Besides? Well, and part of this, I mean, I don't really know. I, I'm not, and I don't know. Some laws you actually have to actually um, pursue as the victim, and some laws the state can pursue, mm -hmm. right? So sometimes law enforcement literally can't lift a finger unless you're willing to press charges against a person, right? And it's and you know, right? So I, but I, I'm happy to lay blame on law enforcement in in any area where they are, you know, where they have authority and they are not exercising it in a situation this grave. Um, but at the same time, I do know that there are times when even law enforcement can't proceed. It depends on how that law is, if it's a state, if it's against the state or against a victim, depending on how they proceed with charges. Mm -hmm. 
Well, you know, kids kids are not likely to come forward, right? Because it's it's embarrassing, and they've had the you know religious whammy put on them. You know, God's going to get you if you know these sorts of mind games. Um, yeah, it's just a sad situation. But I have a suggestion. Since the sex scandal has been going going for sixty years, it seems a simple solution is to remove the tax breaks for Catholic organizations for at least as long going forward. And they can reapply for the tax break if they want it in 2080 <laughs> or later. And meanwhile, their record should be open to law enforcement and any money that's flowing to the Vatican should be made public. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's a good point that um, basically to get tax exemption as, an, as a group, you have to show some public good, some public service that you do. Well, you would think so. Except for churches, <laughs> right. right? I mean, any any group that's not a church has to demonstrate that fact. If you're a church, if you're a recognized religion, then it's assumed, right, that you are performing public good. And I think that was one of an inter- you know, an interesting debate with um, when Hitchens was alive that he did with uh, is the church a force for good? Is the Catholic church a force mm. for good, right? And so it does become a question, how much harm do you cause versus how much good are you doing? Well, and, you need a scale and right. you need to put you know, put everything right. out on the scale and, and see. And I, I think, you know, it's really sad that there are some churches which I think are just, you know, demonstrably harming society with their views and their attitudes. And um, mm-hmm. this this particular one is about abuse. Um, but there are some churches uh, that put forward really harmful doctrine sure. that is like official doctrine for the church and mm-hmm. not to downplay what's going on here. But, you know, when your group is... I don't know. It's a, it's a legitimate question to when when there is like such pervasive harm done through a group for the state to say, "Hang on, do you deserve the tax exemption? You know, mm-hmm. how much harm, how much good? We need to look at this because have you put that in jeopardy by using your position um as a force for good to yep. get into the community, get people to trust you and then you know, harm and abuse them." Yep. Yep. I'm I'm with you 100%. The third uh, little bit from the nudes, and I'll try to go through this quickly, uh, is the uh, Southern Baptist sex abuse scandal, um, which was investigated by the Houston Chronicle and San Antonio Express News, two Texas papers. Uh, Partly the reason they took those on is that more of the abusers worked in Texas than in any other state. Here we have 700 victims and 20 years in the making. Uh, more than 20, 250 people who have worked or volunteered in Southern Baptist churches have been charged with sex crimes. About 220 of those have been uh, actually convicted. So this is interesting, and in wow. the law enforcement is actually convicting some of these folks. Hundreds, a yeah. couple hundred. Um, this includes uh, pastors, ministers, youth pastors, Sunday school teachers, deacons, church volunteers. Um, the Baptist solution, though, is to rehire the criminals and and let them, in many cases, continue their abuse. Uh, we also have the waiting for statute of limitations to expire. And for better or worse, the central church body for the Baptist doesn't have the authority to act. So there's not even a pretense of them coming, riding in and fixing the problem. Wow. Which is kind of sad. Uh, so each church individually was involved in its own cover-up. Its own scandal and its own cover up. Um, so I don't know <laughs> wow. whether that's better or worse. I, yeah. I, what can you even say? I don't even, yeah. 
Uh, and I love this quote. One of the victims, uh, Krista Brown, says, it's a perfect profesh- profession for a con artist because all he has to do is talk good and convince people that he's been called by God and bingo, he gets to be a Southern Baptist minister. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Con <laughs> artists have the best words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. In conclusion, uh, if these denominations have a special friend who's all-knowing, all-powerful, all-beneficent, uh, it sure doesn't show. The prayers of these victims are unheard, and these organizations clearly have no capability to deal with these problems. They just want your money and to hell with the responsibility. And if they're lying to you about the things you can verify, what's the likelihood that they're lying to you about ver- about their unverifiable theological claims? Yeah, or that they just don't know. Yeah. Well, they're not. They're lying to you <laughs> pretty securely. Uh, secular laws, if properly applied, can clean up these messes. If only, if only that could happen. Yeah. And thankfully, young people are leaving the churches in droves, and they uh, will avoid being abused uh, as a result. And that's another yeah. failure of Christianity. And I gotta say, whenever I hear um, a theist or some pastor saying that that's not true, you know, that they're not losing people and that it's not a problem. I just say, go, go, keep preaching it. Because the the longer you believe that there's no problem, the longer you're not going to address it. So yeah. you just keep on believing that you're not losing any people. Right. Stay in denial. Yeah. yeah. And um, I wanted to point out your shirt. Did we? Yes. Uh, my shirt they... <laughs> is uh, Notorious RGB. Can you see it? Can you stand up? Yeah, let me stand up. I love the shirt. Uh, there we go. <laughs> okay. Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, she's uh, awesome, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's that. So let's I take love calls. that shirt. Okay, so we have some calls. Yeah, we have calls. Now, I want to. I, I have one that I want to pick based on something you had talked about. Okay. Um, so, bef- like to intro this, you the first article that you talked about had to do with um, what was number one? What was your first failure there? Uh, the schism. Yeah, today? yeah. And also when you talk about abuse within the church, right? And so we were talking before um, this particular caller, we saw the topic and it inspired me to remember some stories of abuse within the church that okay. I was in. Um, and I wanted to just kind of go into this one because it, it kind of is Sounds another good. form of abuse. Okay. Uh, so Very good. we're going to go with Kenny in Pennsylvania, which <laughs> ironically that's Pennsylvania. So we're back <laughs> where we were just talking about. You're on with Don and Tracy, and it says here that you want to talk about uh, some of the verses that deal with um, women obeying their husbands in the church. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Am I on? Yeah, you're on. You're on. Yeah, hi. Yeah. Uh, Wow, this is uh, exciting. I've watched your show since, like, uh, December. And you're uh, still a theist. Uh, yeah, also... <laughs> and yet you're still a theist. What are we doing wrong? Yeah. <laughs> well, my culture is very uh, highly religious, uh, like, super religious. It basically runs the whole social dynamics of what people do. Um, but, hey, I've listened to you guys and a couple of other channels, like uh, Mr. Atheist and uh, Telltale. Okay. Anyways, um yeah, I've just been acknowledging my culture a bit and seeing just how pervasive the religion actually gets into it. Um, I'm from Nigeria, so yeah. Anyways, yeah, I wanted to talk about um, your opinions of freedom of speech first because of you know what happened in New Zealand this past weekend. Um, I saw on some forums that people are saying that um, uh, what do you call it? Like uh, hate speech should be limited. And I would agree with that, except for the fact that um, 
Well, when you start limiting one people's form of speech, then you start limiting, or it gets easier to limit other people's form of speeches. Uh, sorry, I forgot the co-host's name. Oh, Don. Uh, what are your opinions on that? Yeah, Tracy and Don. You want to take that, Tracy? Or you want- yeah, I don't mind. I mean, he's asking you specifically, but I'm happy to go first. Um, so for me, speech is a, you know, that's an issue that is, is kind of societally gauged, right? So even in the United States where we have this concept of freedom of speech, we still restrict it. Um, you can't say anything. You can't libel somebody, right? You can't um, slander them, I should say. You know, it, I guess both things would be considered speech. Uh, you can't threaten a person with a direct threat. And I think what we've seen in the last couple of years is that it's a little bit unnerving how some speech seems to be acceptable even when it appears to be a threat that everybody recognizes and yet people are like, well, they didn't directly threaten and what, you know. And so you're looking at it like, you know, hey, this person just said nice dog. Be ashamed if something happened to your dog, wouldn't it? <laughs> and we're going, what the heck, right? And people are like, well, I don't know if that's, you know, he didn't really threaten the dog. He didn't really, it's, hey, look, what do you, so... Our own restrictions on freedom of speech have some gaps there, right, where I can literally threaten somebody without using words that will get me in legal trouble, right? I can threaten your kids. I can threaten you to burn your house down if I go that route, right? I mean, so we have a situation where we have freedom of speech and yet there's still issues with it. And then there's still court cases about freedom of speech, right? So even when you have freedom of speech – it's not cut and dry. It's not like a black and white thing where it's like, here's the line. Everybody recognizes it. This is what's allowed. This is what's not allowed. So there's always going to be one of these. Uh, this is one of those situations where there's always going to be some fuzziness about the boundary of what you can say and what you can't say. Then the question becomes, like, why do we have uh, why do we restrict speech that's like a direct threat? Why can you get arrested if I if I you know if I come to you and I say I'm gonna I'm gonna freaking kill you? I'm gonna go home and get a gun and I'm gonna come to your house and I'm gonna kill you. Why can I be you know arrested at that point for threatening you when I haven't actually done it? Right? I've just said a thing, and yet that's something you can't say. So when you look at it that way, it's like, well, but it shows that you've got this intent, right? So what if I'm speaking and I'm inciting violence? What if I start telling other people, like, get a gun and start going and killing this particular group because, you know, they are really bad and they're, you know, going to come across our border and hurt us? You know, like, what if I start, right, right. what if I start saying things that incite violence, right? And, and it, well, what? That's why Alex Jones is in hot water these days. Well, he was, I think he got, got it for, um, Saying that, uh, what was it that p- promoting, I, I guess, that they were lying about the right, the right, and then mass and then killing, his followers yeah. harassed these folks. And so, he, there's, there's issues like that, right, where you have a situation. So, then the question becomes do certain forms of speech that we maybe don't recognize currently as harmful actually incite people to do harm, right? Can, are there forms of speech that maybe we need to study better to understand whether or not they have? negative impacts that are measurable or demonstrable, and then we can look at laws about whether or not they should be restricted, right? So some people are saying when it comes to hate speech that this this is, this is actually creates a damage to the culture that can then result in aggression or violence towards certain groups. I'm not saying that's true or false. I'm just saying we need to look at that because if it's correct that hateful speech leads to hateful behavior or increases it, then we have to look at that and say, well, does it increase it to the point that we want to restrict speech for that or not? I don't, I don't have like, um, when it comes to hate speech, to me, that's sort of a thing where it's like, well, let's look at it. 
Let's study it. Let's examine it. And let's see whether or not we think our society should endorse it or not endorse it. Yeah. Well, your answers have focused mostly on hate speech. Uh, you know, when I think of free speech and, and potentially laws, uh, there's this issue of uh, things like blasphemy laws where certain speech is disallowed because – there's this presumption offense. of protection yeah, just, for just a particular group and such. And I'm very, very nervous about those sorts of things. I would I would err on the side of wanting free speech. Um, you know, blasphemy laws are, are um, almost universally bad uh, and protection for yeah. particular religious views or these sorts of things. Um, I just look like there's a lot of speech that led up to the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And how much of that speech right. would have been allowed today you know how much and how much of that speech would have been restricted like at what point do we there's a it's a legitimate question to ask whether or not you are allowing speech that leads to damage right you know and uh, and i'm okay studying that and making an assessment I, of it. Uh, go ahead kenny sorry to interrupt yeah, yeah. Tracy, I think you were a communications major in college. Am I correct? Yeah, I was. Listen to the pastors. Yeah, same here. I'm actually studying, hopefully, to uh, finish within next year. But um, you mentioned that uh, the Holocaust thing. I was actually watching a video about Prophet Azad, where he mentioned something about it's all about rhetoric and uh, the rhetoric that you use and basically comparing the people you don't like to uh, roaches or animals or something. And Dehumanizing like, people. Rwanda. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think that's, that, that is, that is, um, you know, the gateway speech, right? When you start to, to paint a group as, as subhuman, non-human, less than human, um, right. you start right. opening the door to mentally justifying abuses toward them that they should, they don't deserve the same rights as other human beings, other people. Um, and so that can be, you know, that can, that can be frightening, um, because, you first have to dehumanize people in order to commit atrocities against sure, them. Sure. Uh, now that doesn't mean that every time you dehumanize somebody, you're, it's going to lead to an atrocity. And that's what also, what I, that's why I'm saying I, I'd be okay looking at this issue. I'd be okay studying this issue, seeing what data is available. There may be data available that if I looked at it, I would say, oh yeah, this is not a problem or yeah, this is a problem. But I don't just inherently say like, oh, I'm anti-hate speech or I, I'm for hate speech or I think it should be protected or I don't think, I think it should be studied. And I think the damage should be assessed whether or not it is something that we need to worry about. Or maybe when you combine it with other factors, it becomes a problem, right? It could be that dehumanization plus some other things becomes a like, dangerous thing. And then you can look at that from the standpoint that we're doing with the gun discussion now, right? We've got this gun thing where we're saying, well, can we look and see, you know, what is dangerous? You know, is, is oh, yeah. this, um, this combined with this combined with this? Maybe the cops need to go take chat with you. Right. And so maybe it's not just about saying something dehumanizing. Maybe it's about saying something dehumanizing along with blogging about how you'd like to, you know, see a bunch of people, you know, disappear or, you know, I mean, <laughs> there, there could be other factors that you could look at that say maybe it's not just using dehumanizing speech. Maybe there's other. Um, aspects of it that when it's combined, you can be recognized as threatening. So, Kenny, did you have a particular thing that you wanted to, uh, uh, a particular aspect of free speech? Do you, that yeah, you do, you see to these, talk about? do you see these verses as hate speech? Um, well, I wanted to talk more about the um, New Zealand shooting thing since that's more relevant, but it doesn't necessarily have to be <laughs> context of that. Um, I think any speech that really is derogative and meant to downgrade a uh, group of people would be considered 
Well, it depends. It's, it's very nuanced. It's not an objective, objective thing. Um, but yeah, the post that I saw, I think it was Saturday, was like anything related to white supremacy must immediately be like shut down. Facebook should delete all of those accounts. And I disagree with that because I think... Well, know, now wait, 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 because now we're slip, we're sliding outside of free speech. I'm sliding? All right, sorry, I don't yeah. want to... Facebook is not the government, right? So Facebook can basically say what, <laughs> yeah, what exists or doesn't exist on their have, platform. They have their own rules that they yeah. can enforce. I've, I, and, and I say that as somebody who has had stuff pulled down by Facebook and gone into Facebook jail a couple times. So And, and I fully understand that they have the right to make those decisions. So right. that they didn't... I don't, I'm not screaming like, oh, they took my stuff down, they infringed my speech. They, they didn't. They, they enforced their... Uh, requirements. I had one where I asked them to go back and reconsider it because I thought it was, you know, potentially something that should have been allowed to go up, but they came back and said no. It's like they reconsidered it and they said no. Yeah. But they're not yeah. the government and they can do that. Okay. Well, um, actually, I wanted to get to my second point. I don't want to like take up all of your time. I know you guys have a lot of other callers. Um, what, what do you mind? Uh, is it going to be about Ephesians? <laughs> yep. Okay. All right. Yeah, Ephesians five twenty-two to five uh, twenty-three. Uh, sorry, just let me pull up the. Sure. We, we looked so this up have, very quickly before the. Yeah, before I'll read the it. Show. I'll read it. It's just a couple lines, right? Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Yep. Yeah, I think uh, I think it was a uh, Mr. Atheist video where they were watching this, and um, do you know Stephen Anderson? I, I don't. Of him. I don't. But if he has an but, idea uh, that we should hear, feel free to express it. I think he does. So I was watching like an excerpt of his one. Uh, I, I don't think you'd call it a preaching. It's not positive. Essentially, he's saying that uh, rape doesn't exist in marriage because once someone agrees to marry the partner, then they agree to any sex within the marriage. So whether the wife is not in the mood, or whether the husband is not in the mood, or whether uh, there's like an injury or surgery and they cannot do sexual acts physically, then they still have to do it because according to the Bible, I say so. Um, I thought that listening to this guy, he's crazy, but then like he has a huge congregation listening to him and agreeing with him, and I think that's really toxic. But I wanted to know what your take on, uh, not necessarily Ephesians, is, but of people who want to do what they want to do anyways, but then they're just looking for verses in the Bible to justify their actions. <laughs> what do I think of them? A lot of times I think they're good, right? So, for example, there are verses in the Bible that say this crap about submitting to your husband, but there are some people who basically use other verses in the Bible because they don't want to do that. So they'll come up with some other biblical passages and construct that basically says that, you know, marriages are equal and that both partners should be yeah. treated with, you know, equal respect. And so for me, if I'm going to deal with a Christian, I'd rather deal with a Christian who basically has a good moral compass and then interprets the Bible in such a way that it conforms to their moral compass than I would dealing with people who just do crappy things because they're in the Bible. Well, I mean, that's the way that I looked at my religion. And some t or sometimes my mom or dad would say, oh, this is like from years ago, but they'd say that I'm interpreting it wrong, but... This is how I see the interpretation, so I'm not sure how it's wrong. The, the Bible is a Rorschach test. You can you can read anything you want into it, and and so it's not a basis for morality. Yeah, but I, but I guess what I'm saying is when he says, "What is my opinion of people that conform the Bible to their to their own views?" That's what they. That's what everybody. Most does. 
<laughs> well, I mean, no. When I was in a That's when I was in church, right? It was like the, we would see a passage like this, and that was what it said, and so that's what it said, and that's what we did. And whether I agreed with it or not, I would conform to it because I had to believe that God knew. Yeah, but there's more a more than nuanced question here of. You know, it can be spun all sorts of different ways. Yes, it can. But but a biblical literalist, right, somebody who says, like you were saying earlier, when you're reading that and you're saying it says to, you know, kill people who are gay, um, a biblical literalist would say, yeah, it says that. And that's right. And a person who is not is, – is kind of interpreting it in their own way is going to look at it and say, well, it says that, but you got to understand. And they're going right. to get to the Him end where and, yeah. it, gay is fine. <laughs> and so what I'm saying is that when he asks, what's my opinion of those people, I'd so much rather live in a world with moral people who are going to make the Bible serve their moral interest than people who are going to do immoral things because the Bible tells them to. And even though they're sitting there saying, wow, this seems really immoral, but, you know, God knows better, so I better go do this. I mean, I don't I, – uh, that person is, is much more frightening to me, and I was that person. Right. That's why. I'm, and I was it was frightening. I'm like, I'm, I don't know if too many people that actually follow the Bible. Right. That I, I, it seems like it's almost always that the they're, they're justifying whatever they want to with the Bible. I'm telling you ignoring that ignoring this part. And when you get into the, li, the, the literalist <laughs> authoritarian churches, there are a lot of people doing things that they don't feel comfortable with because they believe that's what that Bible says. Mm. And they are violating themselves. And what he's describing is the person who basically says, since I think this is wrong, I'm going to find a way to make the Bible agree with me. And then I'm going to go out and um, say that it's wrong to be a bigot toward gay people. And the Bible, you know, supports me. I may not agree with what they're interpreting as the Bible, but they are much better, you know, much more positive in their social impact than somebody who basically says, I really feel bad because I have friends who are gay and I think they're good people, but yeah. the Bible says they're horrible. So I just have to see them as sinners and they deserve hell. And, if, you know, and, and by rights, they ought to be, you know, executed. Right. I mean, that's just messed up. But there are people who do that. And, and from our perspective, the Bible has no bearing on anything. It's 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 a it's a it's a pointless distraction, right? If if something is good and moral, you should be able to defend it as as such. If if it's if it's not, it's not. Uh, the Bible's irrelevant anyway. Okay. That needs oh, to be said. By, by the way, okay. uh, sorry, it's just Tracy. You uh, you brought something up. Sorry, Doug, uh, uh, is that your name? Tracy and Don. Don, sorry, I'm horrible with names. No worries. Uh, sorry, Don, I'm not giving you as much attention as I am, Tracy. Um, but Tracy, you did bring up the homosexual thing. Um, I am bisexual, and that sort of caused problems at home. Um, long story short, anyway, so there's this super religious guy who I follow, or we're not really friends, but I asked him if he's homosexual. You've got some static like, happening. Well, Just FYI, there's something going on with your mic. Sorry, can you hear me better now? Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah, I asked him a yes-no question. Does he think homosexuality should be illegal? And he gave me a runaround answer. I don't know. Do you want me to, like, read his response or just the gist of what he's saying? No, I, I mean, so what's the question? He Was he, I mean, if, can he you summarize? I, I can summarize it. Yeah. So he said that uh, the whole gay thing, whatever that is, he doesn't understand it. It disgusts him and that he thinks it's up to the sinner and their God and they'll be punished accordingly. And that he doesn't think that the gay should be allowed around children and it's a very narrow-minded perspective of the entire thing. But I like talking to him because he gives me a general idea of basically the the um, conservative, I don't want to be unfair, but conservative mindset 
Yeah, yeah. No, I would say that's pretty conservative. <laughs> yeah. Very, but, but not not very too much. unusual. No, I don't think so. It's just like within the LGBT community, I talked to certain people and it's like they were at some point suicidal. I mean, I was talking to someone the other day about that. And to think that, you know, this could be the ultimatum and he, he's still willing to keep his narrow-minded opinions. It just sort of irritates me. But I don't know. Okay. Well, we have certainly covered a lot of topics here yeah. <laughs> on this yeah. call. So yeah, I'm going to go ahead and let you go. Much. I'm going to let you go, Kenny. Yep. Thank you. Have a sure. good day. Thank you. Woo. Okay. Anything? <laughs> I think we covered it. No, there's a lot of stuff <laughs> right. here. Let's go to, this is um, Tracy in Tulare, California. You're on with Tracy and Don. Well, hello again, Tracy and Don. How have you guys been? Just fine. This is about indoctrination awesome. and shared experiences. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So, okay, let me grab my paper. I wrote all this down good. so I don't forget. <laughs> Very good. Indoctrination. I have heard you mention that word more than once, and it just sounds so diabolical. You know what I mean? It yeah, because it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Well, let me let me ask you this. Um, the question I'm going to ask about it, is it necessarily a bad thing? And I want to give some context to that, if that's okay. Sure. Cool. Okay, so I've mentioned my grandma more than once on this show. When my grandma would take me to church almost every Sunday when I was a little girl, I can tell you that my grandma intended no malice by taking me there. You know what I mean? Like, she wasn't, I don't know, when I hear indoctrination, I I get a little sad because I'm like, well, my grandma wasn't doing anything evil. (laughs) Was she? I mean, I I can't speak for it because I don't know what what she was doing. I mean, are you saying that she indoctrinated you? I guess I am because she's the one that raised me to believe in God. She did the same with my mom and all five of her kids. Okay. Um, I guess maybe I don't fully understand the concept of indoctrination because, like I said, it sounds so bad. But my grandma's a really good person who didn't mean— So she took you to—let's just go through this. She took you to church, taught you to believe in God, right? Yes. Why is that important? Why was it important that you believe in God? Sounded important enough to quote save my soul. Okay, why was why do you need salvation? I I would assume so that I don't burn forever. (laughs) Do you think you deserve to burn forever? Oh God, no. Then why would you believe that? Why why would somebody who loves you tell you to believe in a God who is going to save your soul, which they believe deserves to burn forever? Why would your grandmother believe that you deserve to burn forever? And why would she want you to believe that? Mm -hmm. Right. And why is that good? <laughs> I know, boy, you you kind of got me there. Um, with my grandma, oh, you know it it goes way back. Her mom taught it to her. On I understand. On on. Yeah, I know how indoctrination <laughs> works. Indoctrinated right. people indoctrinate <laughs> other people. What I'm saying is, you were saying, well, she didn't mean anything evil, so why is it bad? And I'm saying that she basically told you, as her as your grandmother, that she believed you deserved eternal torture and that you should believe that about yourself. Do you think that's a bad thing? I do, uh, and I'm yeah. I'm okay saying yeah. it. <laughs> you know, that is right. a bad thing to teach people. And that's why I think indoctrination is a bad thing. Well, you know, because when you say um, the whole, I, I don't want to misquote you, but that I, that she thinks that I deserve it. I can tell you that grandma doesn't think that anyone deserves it. She, she's that, blah, blah. Why would she's she, actually said that. So why would she admire a God <laughs> that, that would do something that she I thinks know. to people that she thinks they don't deserve? 
I know. Like th- th- I, this is the thing. I, the, the, the issue I have. Some people say kind of a lame excuse. Some people anyway. say that indoctrination <laughs> is the same as education. It's not. Education is teaching somebody about a thing, right? I can teach you how something like how this mug that I've got in front of me is made. That's not indoctrinating you. It's just teaching you something. When I'm indoctrinating a person, I generally consider that there should be something that is called introjection going on, right? Have you ever heard of the term projection when you when you project something onto something else, somebody else? So basically yeah. you're cheating on your spouse and so you start suspecting they're cheating on you all the time and you get all suspicious of them <laughs> right. because you're like you're a cheater and you think everybody's cheating. And so you start projecting onto people this thing. Not everybody does it. I'm not saying everybody, you know, well, I mean, I guess we probably all do to an extent, but not everybody does it to an egregious <laughs> degree to other people. But we do tend to project certain things onto people sometimes. Introjection mm-hmm. is when you pick up on what I think about you and then you internalize that and you start thinking it about yourself. This usually can happen to children and it usually happens when an adult that's rearing them that they admire and that is their caregiver gives them really either positive or negative reinforcement and then the child starts to see themselves as kind of this mirror, right? So they start having an attitude toward themselves because they've been taught by somebody else that this is what they look like. So you are bad. You do bad things or you can do this. You're good. You, you know, you're, you, so, we, you can say things that are negative or positive to a kid. It doesn't necessarily sink into that level. But if you say them often enough and with enough, you know, heart to it, the kid is going to start adopting those views and internalizing that. The problem is that it overrides the person's actual views of themselves, right? So you've got this kid who maybe doesn't think they're a horrible person, but mom keeps telling them that they're horrible. And so after a while, they start <laughs> believing that they're horrible. So this isn't really the kid's view. It's mom's view that the kid is a adopting. And so that's called Mm -hmm. introjection when that happens. It's when I start thinking that I I pick up on what you think of me and then I internalize that and I start thinking it. And I'm I'm Mm -hmm. thinking now, boy, that whole concept of sin really plays into that. Well, yeah, the the introjection that most, you know, when we think of religion in the West, what's required there is a huge level of of like self-denigration You've got to believe horrible things about yourself for this religion to make sense. And that's why mm-hmm. I'm not down with it. And to me, if you're not, if you aren't trying to interject things onto somebody, if you're not really imposing on what they, on their self-directed life and their self-directed thinking, then I'm happy calling what you're doing education. But when you start trying to get a person to sort of identify as you're telling them they need to identify as opposed to fostering and nurturing their identity, then you're doing more harm than good. And there are actually yeah. negative mental health results of doing this to people. <laughs> well, it's funny because I do have OCD. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's what this is what caused it. I'm just saying that there there are some, there are there are some people who have written about the <laughs> the negative uh, things that can happen to people mentally um, when you do this to them. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. No, and see that's just that's just part of the reason I call you guys so much because at least where I'm from, if there are atheists around here, they're absolutely in the closet. Um, the only other atheist I know of is my sister. And me and her are not on good terms right now, but that's a whole separate show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's the reason I like to call you guys so much, because you always give me an answer. Um, well, that's the purpose of I the show, is to try to have a dialogue with, with folks. Right. 
and I appreciate it very much. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's just, you know, when, when grandma would take me to church, I'd always look forward to Sunday. It was always something fun, you know? Sure. We'd go to McDonald's afterwards. and <laughs> Yeah, cookies in Sunday school and little, like, oh, you rituals know. rituals are goes, comforting. Goes, and, you and, get to sing songs yeah. and stick the little, like, um, people up on the board, you know. Here's well, it's, the it's family time and community time. There's a lot of good things about it as well. Yeah, you package it. I, I had somebody tell me one time, and, you know, I, I do not condone poisoning animals, right? This is It's just a metaphor. No, 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 no. Um, but somebody said if you want to poison a dog you wrap it in bacon mm. right oh my god so i i mean this is but it's it, an it's a it's a metaphor yeah it's meant it's meant to be it's just meant to say that you don't just if you hand the dog poison it won't eat it and it's and what they're saying is if you hand a person something you know horrible they're not going to swallow it but wrap it in something nice and they'll swallow mm-hmm. the 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 toxic crap along with the thing that goes down easy right yeah, I probably would too, <laughs> figuratively, figuratively and literally. <laughs> right, and and that's the thing. It's like but, these, yeah. these some of these ideas are, are poison. They really damage people. Right. And and I don't think that I think if we had religions that were you know all real supportive <laughs> of developing identities, right? If if it right. basically said you know investigate yourself and see who you are and see what the what you love and who you want to be and what makes you happy in life and pursue it. I mean, mm-hmm. if that's what religion did, I would be like. That's not really indoctrination, right? That's not, you're not indoctrinating them. You're not telling that you're telling them to go discover. Um, And to me, learning about yourself and having people there that support learning about yourself without telling you who you need to be is, is necessary for, um, I I believe at this point in my, in my reading that it's necessary for mental well-being. So do I, like I've mentioned, um, in past episodes, you know, with my OCD, one of my very, very strong fears was this idea of burning in hell for eternity. And that has caused me a great deal of grief over the years. Um, I can tell you guys that thanks to talking to you all and thanks to your, your chat, other atheists, I've almost entirely let go of the idea of hell. I don't, it, it's How not awesome. compatible with a loving God. There, there are a lot I of just, people that, that call our show that have been atheists for many years and who, who, who still have issues with that. Yeah, I can't shake that fear of yeah. hell. It's, it's, it's and, scary. And, and that's really sad. It is. It is. It I mean, is. I hate yeah. to think of that, but yeah. No, I mean, there's so many attitudes, too. There's a, it's not just hell. Right. Like Some of them are more insidious. At least with hell, you can identify it as like an doctrinal thing that you were taught. And you can say, I don't know why I'm still afraid of it. I don't really believe in it, but I have this fear of it, and I know mm-hmm. that that's not rational. Whereas some people take, like, for example, we didn't really get too much into the passage that this guy was um, right. talking about. But, like, you know, wives obey your husbands. You can walk out of religion and, hmm. and still carry that with you, right, as a woman or as yeah. Man, you could go out and and carry that with you that I am, you know, men are inherently superior and I should subject myself to them or women should subject themselves to me. <laughs> I mean, well, there no, there are people who who I know who right. left churches where the women were badly abused and the churches promoted yeah. that as like you know a, the marital model. Um, and these women yeah. to this day are still struggling with issues, right. and they and they just have yeah. to suck it up instead right. of. And know, and I don't themselves. doubt I don't doubt that this harms yeah. you know the men in these religions too that come out of it with this mm-hmm. added because it's not like you just walk away and suddenly you have this idea of equity after being taught inequity for so many years right it's mm-hmm. you you have right. to get that stuff out of your head. Exactly, well, and you know not to segue too much, but 
that right there, that concept of <clears throat> women being inferior to men, that's always bothered me because I'm... <laughs> Gee, I wonder I why. Think of my... <laughs> well, I am female, but yeah. um, on top of that, I'm a very strong, independent female. So I'm like, there is not a man on the planet that's going to tell me how to live my life, I'm sure. Well, and to be to be fair, you know, <laughs> I, I know a lot of guys who have issues with that, too. Like, there are men in the church who are just oh, like, yeah? this just doesn't sit with me. Mm-hmm. You know, that they don't, they're not yeah. okay with it. Even yeah. though they're kind of on the privilege end of it while they're in that church setting, there are men who mm-hmm. are just like, I, I don't like that. I'm not comfortable with this. Right. So. Well, guys, um, you know, I had a second topic, but if we don't have time this week, you know me, I'll call back. Well, we do yeah. have a, a whole set of callers. We do, and we have another theist okay. that we need to get okay. to, so I appreciate your call. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you, Don and Tracy. Okay, bye-bye. All right, so next we have, uh, this is R-A-O, I guess it's just initials, and you're on with Tracy and Don. You want to talk about a spiritual person, how the double slit experiment proves the existence of God, uh, and so I guess you're on. Well, Tracy and Don, great to meet you. And yes, it's uh, my first name is actually RAO. Okay. Before I get into the meat and potatoes of my uh, thesis, you guys already supported an appetizer salad because you've been talking about uh, you've been talking about homosexuality all day, and I think it's part of a divine plan where homosexuality was demonized to keep it running. Because if homosexuality was accepted, it would have bred itself out of existence. I will leave this so to Don. To- <laughs> it would have bred itself out of existence? Yeah, if homosexuality was accepted, then... Everybody would be gay, been- right? <laughs> Everybody, I mean, who wouldn't be gay if it was... I, I would. Why would I be straight if I knew I could be That's gay? That's right. How are you going to keep them down on the well, farm, right? Okay. If homosexuality was accepted, then there would be less bisexuality, and there would be more open homosexuality. You realize that people that identify as gay are only about like only about like three percent of the. It's like a small percentage of the population that identifies as gay. Um, I think it's like ten million people or something like that. Okay, so it's not we're not in danger if we accept those people and say everything is fine. We're not in danger of. um, No, no, no. If they had been accepted, they would have been bred out of existence. No, they wouldn't have. Closet home. No, you don't. You don't understand how genes work. Wouldn't exist. No, you don't understand how genes work. All right. So it's accepted today. Uh, is the population declining? Well, he's saying gay no, people would de- the numbers of gay people would decline. And what I'm saying is, if, if you it, understand, if it were accepted. so for example, here's here's something to help you understand this better. There's at least one study or that shows that there are higher rates of female fecundity in families where there are gay men, right? So if I have a family and I have several kids and I have very, very fertile women in that family that are having lots of children, I'm more likely to have gay men in that family. This would mean that there is potentially benefit to homosexual men being in families with women who have lots of children. Maybe having an extra male who doesn't have his own kids helps to have that person in the family helping to look after his sister's kids, right? Because he's the uncle and he cares about the kids. Whatever the situation, the point is it's paired with something that actually increases the number of children but also increases the likelihood that there's going to be gay men in that family, when you understand that genes right, and that's all pair, because it was demonized. 
No, it's not. It has nothing to do with whether it's demonized. This is the fact, whether you're in a culture that's demonizing it or not. It has nothing to do with how you view homosexuality. So, so we live in a culture where it's not well, demonized, demonized now. What what drastic change has happened that that is the cause of the demonization? Okay, if homosexuality had been accepted for the last 3,000 years, there would have been no reason for closet homosexuals. Therefore, homosexuals would not have been able to procreate because they would have been only having gay sex. Do gay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're, you're asserting that gay people have gay kids. Yeah, that's just not true. Yeah, that's, no. that's demonstrably false. <laughs> it, it is genetic. There, there is a gay gene. No. It's not what you're thinking. It doesn't work the way you think you understand it. it do, it's not like, you know, I have this gene because I'm gay and then I have kids and then they are more likely to be gay because I'm gay. What I just finished telling you is that in families where straight women have a lot of kids, those kids are more likely to include gay men. It's my understanding that it has a lot more to do with um, the development in the womb than it does with genes. But, but... You know, I don't know. I don't know I what this has to do with but theism. The, I mean, I guess the point, I, maybe, maybe another can... point that I would make is that there are cultures that have not demonized gay people and they still had gay people and they didn't breathe, breathe themselves out of existence or not breathe themselves out of existence yeah. or whatever you want to call your, it. Your, your thesis just doesn't say because straight a lot of, people a lot can of have gay kids and gay people can have straight kids. It's not like a one to one thing. Well, it kind of works under the same situation where grizzly bears can have a white bear. And then when you move into an Arctic region, that white bear becomes dominant because it's able to catch prey quicker. You but are not heard, understanding I, the, the complexity it, it's, it's not of as, genes. It's not as simple as that. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm going to have to look into this developmental thing because I'd never heard about the developmental in the womb uh, having an effect on it. I had always just heard that there was a gay gene, so I'm going to have to, I'm going to definitely have to research that, and I'd like to thank you all both for that. Very good. But, uh, um, you wanted to talk about the double slit experiment? Right. Did you guys have a chance to look into it at all? I mean, I'm familiar I, with a little bit of I'm, it. I'm familiar so with it. So, what is it about it that catches your attention? Well, um, when electrons are forced through this double slit, they create an interference pattern as a wave of water or sound would, where you have high points and low points depending on where the wave right there's an interference hits pattern each other at high right. points hit each other. Yeah. Now, when you monitor which slit these electrons are going through, it changes the pattern. Okay. That's and because you're you're having an effect on the electron before it goes through the slit. Yeah, I just want to make sure that we're clear. Before well, before we go on, I just want to read something to you and make sure that we're on the same page. So if I read this passage, the need for the observer to be conscious has been rejected by mainstream science as a misconception rooted in a poor understanding of the quantum wave function and the quantum measurement process, apparently being generation uh, the generation of information at its most basic level that produces the effect. Um, so just to be clear, we've got a situation where it also is often the result of the experiment of the instruments that by necessity alter the state of what they measure in some manner. So in, right, in, and the quantum eraser experiment actually debunked that because it showed that 
the wave when split or the electron or uh, no, they did this experiment with photons. I'm sorry. They split a photon. And when the photon was split, they had one that was observed and one that wasn't. And they were able to determine that if a photon isn't being observed, it'll have the wave pattern. And if it is observed, it will have a particle pattern before it is observed. So it I don't know how they would measure that. Observation. And what, is, what does this have to do with uh, theism? Well, it actually, the, the reason it's the, theological is because it shows that it, the universe physically cannot exist without an outside observer. I don't understand how you're true. getting there. Can you well, can you po- uh, point me to the paper? Oh, you know we, we, I, when when I, physicists are talking about observer, right now, they're I talking just, about uh, something. I, I'm going to say, go to the blog when you have time. Go to the blog and post the paper that says that 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 the result of this experiment, in the conclusion, the the researchers are stating that the universe can't exist without an outside observer. I, I want that to be part of the paper, that the researchers who did the study are saying this is our conclusion, not just that this is you misunderstanding what it is they're asserting and how and the implications of it. I want to know that the researchers who did this study actually added in the conclusions what you just said the study, the implications of the study are. Can you do that? Well, that's a terrifying conclusion to come to, and a lot Why? of scientists aren't going to... No, 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 no conspiracies, no conspiracies. <laughs> um, if you were a researcher and you could demonstrate God, you would be on the cover of every magazine, you know, everywhere. Right. There'd be no so Nobel there, Prizes. There, there wouldn't be anybody to hold you back if you thought you had that evidence. So if, if your thing is, this is what it means, but the people who did the research aren't saying this is what it means because they're afraid of the implications of it, I, I, I don't even know where to go with that. That's you just simply making that up. It's well, I don't think it's me making it up in the sense it that is if they're not saying it and you're saying that that's their real motive in not saying it. What I'm saying is, did the researcher who did the experiment who said, here's our conclusions based on these findings, say what you just said about the implications of their own study? Well, they do the research, mm-hmm. they have the results. Right. But they don't say the conclusion. Yes, they do. That's part of the research paper. It's actually a section of research papers, the conclusions at the end. Some, they have a method. They have, they'll, they have it broken down into several parts. And the final part is going to be the conclusion. The first part is an abstract. And that'll also talk about this. And if you can find it in the abstract or anywhere in the paper or in the conclusion that they well, have he, said. He's saying they're too afraid, but it would, it would be also okay if you published a paper where if you read between the lines, there's got to be a God. It'd be okay for that to for you to post that too. Yeah. So Don is basically I, saying, go to the blog. I'm, and, I'm and lowering, post even I'm that. lowering the, the standards. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I just I think what's happening is you're reading something that is you know high level physics. It's confusing you, and you are giving a confusing or confused you know explanation of it. And the reason I think you're confused is because I I'm willing to say right here I do not believe that that's going to be in the conclusions. The conclusion that you're saying is inevitable. I do not believe the researchers themselves will have said was inevitable or was even something to consider about what they've discovered. You need to look at their conclusions, find that paper, look at the conclusions, and see what it is they're saying is implied by the data. 
And they're telling you right Why there. Why not look at the experiment? Why not look at the experiment and the results yeah. and come to a logical conclusion? Because okay. you're not a physicist, thing. right? So what I'm saying so, is the people there's there are there are two people that are qualified to vet the conclusions. And that's the researchers who did the study and it's their community of peers. That's the people that are qualified who have the best understanding of the best data who have the best handle on what is going on here. I can try to diagnose what's wrong with my engine, but I'll tell you, a mechanic is probably going to do a lot better. And if I have like a 100 mechanics telling me what's wrong with my car and 99% of them are agreeing, then I'm probably not being wise to go with my, you know, attitude that a gremlin has caused the damage. And to be fair, um, I can point you at a book, uh, Quantum Gods by Victor Stinger, who uh, tackles these topics, um, and he is a physicist, and he he does uh, examine these these claims, um, and uh, and and he's very knowledgeable about those sorts of things, and that might be a good starting point yeah. for you. But I, I do want to take this opportunity though to say that you know one of the jobs I held in the past was editing uh, research. <laughs> papers for a peer-reviewed, more than one peer-reviewed journal. So I actually understand how these papers are broken up and how to read them. Now, I'm not a physicist. That does not mean that I can understand everything that's written in every field of study, but it means that I understand how, how a paper is put together and, you know, how to check the numbers to make sure that, you know, something's not off. And so what I'm what I'm going to say, because you're bringing, raising an issue that I think is important for everyone, is that when you read something that says, hey, this study is showing this thing, and it sounds like absolutely earth-shattering, and yet there aren't headlines in scientific journals or in science, even like, you know, regular scientific uh, popular magazines basically saying that this breakthrough discovery has caused this interpretation— it's always good. Sometimes people think that, oh, you know, how am I going to understand this? I can't understand this. But it doesn't hurt to go and look up the paper that they're talking about. Usually there will be a citation. And if you're looking online, there might be a link. Go to that paper and look at the conclusion. It's usually not that big, right? Mm -hmm. The conclusion is generally like a small section. And the abstract is another small section at the top that basically says, here's what we're going to do. And here's what we found. And then at the bottom, it's like, here's a more robust, you know, section on what we found. You can literally go to the research paper, skip all the way to the end and see what it is the, the researchers themselves said about it. Now, that doesn't mean that they were necessarily correct in what they came up with as the conclusions. And there are times when the community of peers looks at a research paper, looks at the conclusions and says, wait a minute. There's an interpretation of this data that you're overlooking, and it could also mean this, or you'd have to study that as well. And did you control for this thing here? There, you can you can find if the community of peers has, um, for example, given criticism about the methodology. Just because a paper is a research paper, and just because it's studied in a peer-reviewed journal, does not mean that there might not be an issue with the methodology that somebody discovers later and says, "Hey, this study needs to be done again, but it needs to be done with this control, or it needs to be done." And so, there's all kinds of things to look at. And I don't, I don't want to dissuade people. I don't want to just shut it down and say, you know, don't just, just listen to what physicists tell you, right? What I'm saying is they're publishing this stuff and you can actually go and see, here's the conclusion. Here's what the community of peers had to say about it. Here's the reaction to that paper. Here's the response to that paper. And I encourage people to do that. What I don't encourage them to do is just go off on their own and start making up 
conclusions, right? Like out of a non-expert opinion. I think it's important to pay attention to what the people who actually work in the field and study the, the data, this type of data day in and day out, have to say about what this could potentially mean. Does that make sense? Yes, I've listened to Tyson. I think I listened to a second lecture on it. Um, what, what, what I'm saying is when you say look at the conclusion, mm -hmm. look at what the physicists have said, right. is basically like saying, yeah, read the Bible, study what it means, but listen to your preacher. No, it's not because the, the the paper itself is the quote Bible that you're that you're talking about, right? Like it's like there's they're giving you the data. This is just the study, except for the conclusion. The conclusion, though, is is their expert opinion on what you can derive as implications of the data. It's not <laughs> what is who is an expert on God. Um, everybody, if they try, exactly. Who's an expert in physics? Everybody, if they try, no. <laughs> not correct. I'm not an expert plumber. I'm not an expert mechanic. And I mean, yeah, if you want to apply yourself, you have a... Oh, you could be either in two years. <laughs> How would I ever test anything I think about God against a God? Like if I wanted to test something on a car engine, if I wanted to be an expert mechanic, I can go in there and work on the car. How do I become, how do I go in and like interact with a God? How do I test my theories or hypotheses about God? Where the is the God? The experiment is a test on God. Then you when need you to show that. Eraser. You need to show that because I'm going to tell you, you're going to have to, you're going to have to show that the people who actually did the experiment and that the people who actually are expert enough to assess that experiment have agreed with what you're claiming. Otherwise, you're just making stuff up that, about things you don't understand. So in other words, I have to agree with the conclusion that the others before me came to or I'm false the same way. No, no. What I'm saying, what I'm saying, what I'm saying. Way, oh, <laughs> oh, my God. What I'm saying. The same way that preachers. On hold. What I'm saying is that when you don't understand how a car functions and you have 99% of mechanics telling you that there's a certain problem with your car and you reject it as somebody who really doesn't understand how cars work and you just invent your own interpretation of what it is your car is doing and what's it's, wrong it's with it. gremlins that work yeah, for sure. I don't yeah. want someone doing surgery on me who just has intuitive ideas about how my body should work. Does that make sense? Well, what if they were studing it for the last... Let's see what's it been. I don't care. I want them to be oh, board certified years? before they touch me. You, you. I live in, I live in Wyoming. <laughs> okay. Most of my mechanics, most of my mechanics have a tree as an engine jack. Would you let somebody do <laughs> surgery on you? Would you let somebody do surgery on you who did not have a medical degree? What country am I currently living in? The United States. I'm assuming that's what it says here. Then no. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's it. We're done with this one. <laughs> okay. All right. So this we're is. Moving right along. Yeah. We're going to get to. Um, we do have some new theists that have called, but we've got some atheists that have been waiting. So we're going to go ahead and hit those. We're going to start with um, Mitch in Dayton, who is dealing with sleep paralysis and people telling you it's a sign from God. You're on with Tracy and Don. Hey, Don. Hey, Tracy. Hey. hey. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I heard uh, Tracy once talk about sleep paralysis, and I was wondering. Do you still get it, or 
Um, pretty rarely. I never got it really often, uh, but I do I do get it sometimes. I don't get visual hallucinations. I get auditory, and nobody ever tried to tell me it was God, so that's that's a different context altogether. Uh, well, yeah, well, unfortunately for me, that's what they tell me. Sure. Well, what oh I suggest God. that you do is you educate yourself about it, and, um, you know, these armchair interpretations are, are not that helpful generally, and uh, put them in their place. It's like uh, maybe they're well-meaning. Maybe these folks are, you know, trying to help you, um, but, but uh, you know, I, I know I've been through an experience recently where my, my partner had cancer, and there's a lot of, you know, wackadoodle you know, cancer cures that, that people will suggest. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you have to take them with a grain of salt and, and maybe these folks are well-meaning. Uh, maybe they, they, you know, intend that they're trying to help you. Um, and uh, if it's helpful, that's great. If it's not helpful, then, you know, thank them and move on. That would be, that would be my suggestion for how to deal with, with these sorts of folks. Because sleep paralysis is a real thing, and, and a lot of people are affected by it various ways, and it can be pretty scary. Uh, I think it's more scary if you don't understand it, right, than if you do. Oh, yeah. Isn't, yeah. It when the mind is still, isn't it when the mind is still awake, but the body isn't? Right. Yeah, you're still dreaming. Yeah, it's a quasi-conscious state from <laughs> yeah, what I understand. You're laying there paralyzed and dreaming, and you're you're conscious of the fact that you're laying there paralyzed and dreaming. Right. Um, and you see and, things. And you can't, and your body yeah. isn't working. Right? <laughs> and for <laughs> whatever reason, generally everyone has a bad trip, right? It's like th there's not the, there isn't like a huge body of people who are like, I love sleep paralysis. I have the best <laughs> dreams. <laughs> right. And it's always like these horrific, you know, like horrifying yeah. nightmares. I think it's yeah. just, they say that it's probably just a stress reaction from the brain that when you realize you're paralyzed, you get distressed and then you start, your worst fears start eking into the nightmares mm -hmm. because you're just, what if this happened and I can't move, right? right. Nobody ever thinks right. I'm paralyzed. I could just relax and enjoy this. I mean, I do now. Right. But it's hard to get to that point yeah, because you, you have you to. You can get to the point where it's like, okay, this is what's going on. I'm not going to. Yeah. You know, I'll be no, fine. I'll wake up eventually. Good. Yeah. <laughs> this has happened before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, every time I go before I go to sleep, I leave the lights on for some reason. You like to sleep with the lights on? Well, just in case my brain starts wandering again. Okay. I mean, uh, if it helps. Kind of crazy. I, no, it's, I, if it helps, it, then it, it helps. Is this something that's bothering yeah. you a lot? Well, I don't know. I. I, uh, I don't, do you guys want to know how long I've been an atheist for? Well, no, I'm just wondering, like, have you, are you, are you having, I think what Don's getting at is, like, is this causing you problems? Are you having, like, uh, frequent uh, events? Yeah. Okay. okay. Do you want to maybe go to a sleep clinic and see what they think? Do you, do you have one? I mean, Dayton's not a small town. So I would say maybe see if there's like a sleep clinic near you. If you have like health insurance, if it's covered. Um, I mean, if you're if you're starting to have a lot, I mean, it's not well, a pleasant I think, experience. I think, uh, melatonin and that helps a little bit. I love yeah. melatonin. <laughs> well, you know, um, what we're getting at is if if this is something that is um, harming you or causing you trouble, uh, maybe you should uh, go see a doctor about it. And there are specialists that, that really know this stuff. Yeah. I've been talking to a therapist, and that does help a little bit. Do what now? I well, see a therapist, and that helps out a little bit. Well, but I mean, if, if you this is a condition, like a sleep issue. This is a, a, what do you call it, like a... Yeah, go to the right kind of doctor. 
Yeah, I mean, you can go to a sleep clinic and they can help you out with this. It's almost like, you know, obviously it's kind of like the opposite of sleepwalking, right? Like instead of getting around, getting up and wandering around while you're sleeping, you're actually awake and paralyzed and sleeping. And so, um, if it's, if it's distressing you and it's happening frequently, I mean, it is annoying if nothing else, right? Even if it's not terrifying, it's still annoying to be laying there saying like, I would really like to get up and like be able to go do something at this because I'm awake. Um, but I'm stuck in this bed and I can't move and I can't talk and I can't, you know, I'm mm-hmm. sitting here. So it can be kind of an annoyance, even if nothing else. But if it's, if you're having like distressful, for example, um, visions or auditory things that are bothersome, that can be especially terrifying. And so I think that maybe getting in touch with a sleep clinic might not be a bad idea. If, like I say, if you're having a lot of events, uh, I know that when you mentioned melatonin, and I know that for me, when I take melatonin, my dreams are super vivid, right? So I go into a really deep sleep and I have these wildly vivid dreams. Um, and so even, I don't know if you're saying when you said it helped, I don't know if you mean that it helps you not have the paralysis. I would be kind of concerned that I'll, you would I'll have the paralysis. paralysis. What now? It helps me. It helps me just get, take, put me to sleep. <laughs> Do you get paralysis as you're falling asleep or as you're waking up? As I'm waking up usually. Okay, because I was like, I don't usually get it when I'm falling asleep. So the melatonin helps you sleep better. Are you having sleep issues generally? Now, just to kind of say, I'd have to check on this because it's been a while since I've researched it, but my understanding of melatonin is that you're supposed to take it for like a a one-week clip about and then stop, right? Like you're not supposed to continue taking it all the time is my understanding. Again, I would take that with a grain of salt. If people are hearing me say it, please go and check it and make sure that's still the prevailing you know, well, I, I don't view know. of it. I don't know. Well, it can, it can, I, what, what I remember hearing is that it can cause problems with your natural production of melatonin if you keep taking it, like your brain well, detects I, I it and then it stops. I wouldn't be surprised if that were true. So be careful when you take that, that you're just taking it like at a week, but you know, a week or so. And again, check and make sure that I'm still right on that. But um, also, like I said, you, you want to get it, I think, with a sleep clinic if, if you're having issues with this. Well, you know, yeah, and let me amplify that a little bit. You know, the, sleep is very important for your physical and mental health and, and uh, treat this as a health issue. Right? Don't, don't, don't treat this as a, you know, uh, a game or, or uh, something to try to self-medicate. Go, go, go get some help with this with the right, the right folks. This is pretty important. All right. Yeah. Uh, can I ask a quick question to Don real quick? Yeah, sure. I do. Hey, uh, since I'm an atheist, Donna, there's a lot of atheists who, because uh, evolution is a scientific fact, right? And there's some uh, atheists who. Species I think, do uh, change over time, yes, and and uh, um, there's there's certainly lots of evidence for the theory of evolution, um, but but evolution basically just just refers to the change of uh, change of genes over time. Over time, right? And that is a fact. There's some. Uh, Atheists out there who think we come from uh, aliens. <laughs> there are that atheists that, that disagree with that, or well, they, yeah, they think we were seeded by aliens. He's right. Oh, there are people oh. that think that. Well, there's there's uh, <laughs> there's a lot of crazy beliefs out there. You know, just because you're an atheist doesn't necessarily mean you you have all the right answers. <laughs> Atheism really is just about just about you know the God question and. Uh, um, a lot of the folks, you know, in our group here and and on the on our shows and such are are skeptics uh, as a rule and and try to believe as many true things as possible, many and disbelieve as many false things as possible. But that's a process, and that's not not something we're all perfect at. But Mitch has a question for you. Okay, um, was Donna, that was that your question or no? That was my question. It was okay. 
That was my question. Okay. Okay. Well, did I answer I've been, it? I've been a big fan of the show for about a month, and uh, I was going to call it yes last week when Matt was on, but Matt kind of scares me a little bit, so. <laughs> he scares me, too. Oh. <laughs> but he's uh, a teddy bear. He's not scary. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we'll go on to other another caller then. Good. Good luck to All you, right. man. Well, thank you. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. So, um, I did. I felt kind of bad that I mocked that one caller's laugh. I just want to throw that out there. Oh yeah. If, if anybody had a problem with it, that. I had a visceral problem with it as soon as I did it. So, I'll have to process more like why I have a problem with it. But I felt kind of bad. So, you know, if I did something bad there, I, I will think about it more. Well, I'll put myself in timeout later and. <laughs> Consider my actions, but I feel bad that I mocked that laugh. I, you know, my goal is not to mock the callers. So okay, all right, all right, all right. Let's hit up Thomas in Knoxville, Tennessee, and you're on with Don and Tracy. Your question is how to get through to how to get through to apologists. Um, is it even possible? Is that is that about it, or is there like context? That's uh, pretty close. So well, one thing before we I get into my question um, about. Uh, melatonin. Uh, okay. I think that guy should talk to his doctor about it because you have to be fairly scheduled with melatonin. I know a lot of people use it because it does knock you out really well. But um, it's weird. Yeah, you just it, have to be. It works good. for some folks. It what? doesn't work for others. Like I know some people who are like, I take it, it does nothing. I'm like, man, seriously, because I'm just drooling in a chair like after 30 yeah, minutes. Yeah, to be. It's, it's, it's yeah. really nice. But um, um, I forgot. I think it was on the Skeptic Skies of the Galaxy that they were talking about how. It's not as safe as we think it is, so. Yeah, I've always heard that it was, like, it first came out to help people adjust to jet lag, right? Like, that mm -hmm. was when I first heard about yeah. it. Yeah. And it was about, you take it for three days up to the point you're going to be going to the new location with the time zone, and then you quit, right? You're not supposed to keep, and then I have a friends who have started taking it all the time, and those people now can't sleep without it. And I'm like, ooh, I don't want, you know, wouldn't want to go there. So, yeah, yeah there, there's definitely stuff to look up. I don't want anybody to think that, like, I am the expert on how to take melatonin. I'm just saying what I remember hearing a while back yeah. that you take it for a few days and then you stop uh, and you're not supposed to continue on with it. Now, again, people should check that if, you, if you're going to do it. Get the melatonin show here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and I wasn't implying that you were trying to give medical advice. Oh, gosh, no, no. I, and I appreciate okay. you also saying like, yeah, yeah, be careful with that stuff. I, I agree. Yeah. Be careful with it. Yeah. Generally, any okay. sleeping pill, be, be careful. Yeah. Right. But this one, you can just go to the grocery and store. Bye. Any drug that gives you a little bit of pleasure, be careful. <laughs> right. <laughs> it just puts me to sleep. Yeah. Like, yeah. so, yeah. Okay. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Back to your topic. So my, my question actually deals with, uh, there's a few articles on the, I think it's called the back backlash effect or the backfire effect. Um, when when you when you're exposed to information, heels, yeah, yeah. When when you're exposed right. to information that's like counter to your view, sometimes you you dig in and get more you into your down. view, right? Yeah, I think it was done with yeah. some articles. Yeah, and that's scary. Basically, what they said is that it's 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 kind of tenuous. A lot of people do like to accept new information, um, depending on the subject matter and how emotionally invested they are in it. But again, the this new information they receive, if it's not within their narrative. They often forget this new information quickly. Yeah. And and one of the conclusions was when you want to change someone's mind is to fit this new evidence into basically don't disturb their narrative too much. Right. Put and put a little bacon I around it. I am a yep. yeah. <laughs> That's gonna be a thing now. <laughs> I couldn't resist. <laughs> it's okay. 
No, no. I mean, the it's a serious is, problem, I, I, right? Because how do you get through to folks that are that have dug in, and 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 there are these various effects where they will ignore you, or um, sometimes if you if you try to discount a lie, uh, you'll end up uh, reinforcing the the lie. Um, yeah. These sorts of things, and yeah. and there are some real communication challenges here, right? <laughs> yes, there's it, so. from communication standpoint, how people process information is. Extremely complex sometimes, mm-hmm. right? And and yeah, yeah, I mean, when you when you realize, like like for example, when I was studying um, the journalism aspect about retractions, right? When you publish big headlines and then you print your little retraction, people are more likely to remember the initial news than the fact that you retracted it, right? So. Right. Um, in fact, if, if a lie gets published broadly and repeated often enough, then even when you correct it, it's kind of the, the, it's the cows are out of the gate. Yeah. Goebbels, right. Right. It's, it's really frustrating. And I, um, I'm a graduate student right now and evidence is really, really important to me. I think that's the most clear cut way to investigate anything, stack up the data. How well is the data? How the data get there? Then look at it. Boom. I make my decision. Um, and so it's hard for me to use this technique at all. And I was wondering if you guys could come up with an example of how one would skew the narrative in a like in an anti-apologetics argument. Well, there, you know, a couple things come to mind. Um, I know that there are some folks um, that are very concerned about the environment that are that are um, trying to pitch their message in such a way that it's appealing to kind of re- the religious narrative of of care for the earth and these sorts of things. And so, um, understanding your audience is always, always, always a good idea, right? It's always the way to um, to get to help get your message across. Um, let's see. So kind of like fight fire with fire type of thing? Well, no, more of, uh, talk their language, uh, and, and use their sort of touch points and their symbols. Um, another way to get through is humor sometimes because people will have their defenses down. What else, yeah. Tracy? No, I, I was thinking in terms of what you were just saying about, you know, the weaving it into the narrative, right? So we had a caller one time who called that was, uh, that wanted to talk about his father who was a, if, believed in faith healing and his dad got gravely ill and would not go to a doctor because he believed in faith healing. And they were able to get somebody that was religious who believed in doctors <laughs> to come in and sort of consult with their dad and have a few, you know, discussions with their dad and ultimately their dad went to a doctor, right? So it just it didn't it didn't come from somebody saying this is a bunch of bunk and you need to put this away cuz it's damaging you and it's a dangerous belief and it's going to kill you. Basically what they did is they got somebody else who's like, "Hey, I believe in God too and I believe, you know, in Jesus and um but I think you're maybe misunderstanding some of the scripture and that was that was enough to shift that part of their belief system to a, you know, to a, just a, another tick over to the less harmful side, right? Just shifted it a little mm. less harmful. And so sometimes that's that I always think of as an example of somebody utilizing that sort of um, method. Yeah, and maybe the maybe the lesson there is it's very difficult to change somebody's mind all the way, right? Often yeah. it's it's a uh, it's a little nudge uh, that that really what matters, or planting a seed of doubt, or these sorts of things mm-hmm. that that will may germinate over many years. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, keep your expectations realistic. 
in these yeah. sorts of conversations. I definitely can remember specific, so very low. specific yeah. conversations I had with people who made me stop and think about a thing and reconsider how I viewed it or, you know, problem or an issue with how I was looking at the Bible reminded me of things sometimes that I already knew, right? Like stuff I had learned in school that I actually accepted as true that they would point out to me and say, you know, no, this is the explanation for that, not what you're saying. And I was just like, whoa, why didn't I remember that? Like, I remember that. I studied that in school. And yeah, that's true. And so there were conversations like that. Like Don is saying, it, it took a long time for me to finally um, hit atheism. But there were these little shifts in paradigm uh, that were brought to me by different people uh, who just made different points that were valid uh, that made me sort of shift my view. Yeah. Um, that that kind of brings me to the, the second point. Because, you know, it is this, like you said, multiple, multiple little steps toward one particular decision or goal or changing of one's mind. And then I also uh, listen to uh, Unbelievable sometimes. You guys know that podcast? That Christian uh, podcast, I'm not familiar with it, no. like, I think Matt was on it once. Oh, okay. Basically, the guy was called, his name is Justin, and he talks to scholars from all over the world. He, he has Steven Pinker. Uh, Stephen Fry, you know, Matt Dillahunty, uh, uh, was it Daniel Dennett, all these other scholars and also scholars from the Christian side. Mm -hmm. And he, he sees all these contradictions or different viewpoints of why the believers believe it to be true. Not all of them align with one another. And then you have all these viewpoints of the non-believers believing why it's not true, and they more or less align, yet he still remains a true believer and that just boggles my mind i was wondering if well it's not necessarily the case that people are lying right they they just have a right a way of viewing the world that that has some internal consistency and uh you know sometimes it's a matter of pointing out the the places where it's inconsistent or it doesn't match with reality these sorts of things um you know uh, so. these religions have been around a long time and they sort of have built up uh, anthropomorphizing a little bit, uh, defense mechanisms, right, or or, or uh, rationalizations or apologetics, as you as you mentioned, to to address certain questions that come up, right. Um, mm -hmm. So some of these dialogues uh, on the apologetic sides are are, are quite old, right. The the problem of evil actually predates Christianity, right. Uh, <laughs> you know, if if there is a if there is an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-beneficent God, why is there evil? Right. That that question was posed ages ago, and and uh, you know, there's there's counter apologetics and apologetics related to that that uh, you know are are quite old at this point, and so a lot of a lot of these things uh, have been around a long time. Um, what what often is helpful uh, with apologetics is maybe get off the script a bit, uh, come at it from a new angle, or come at it from a way where they where they have to engage with you uh, as far as what you're proposing, rather than have them just yeah. repeat the the script that they've been given because that that's not going to lead to any learning. This is a really good point because a lot of times that script includes a presumption that a god exists, right? So sometimes apologetics starts out with a God exists and God is, so they'll start with God has caused the universe or God has written the Bible or God raised Jesus from the dead and they'll start working from there. 
But I like to use the phrase, things that do not exist cannot be the cause of other things. So a lot of times when they're starting an apologetic argument, they're, they're kind of giving themselves already that a God exists because they haven't actually demonstrated that there is that cause, which must exist for the cause to be responsible for anything. And so when you start backing it up like that, a lot of times people, and, and I'm not saying like it's a trick to throw people off. I'm saying that you actually have to establish it. If I'm going to start making up like all these things that God is doing, and I'm never going to, and, and I'm using that as sort of a distraction to keep people from actually looking at whether or not there is an existent God to be the cause of all these things, then you're already sort of in this quagmire where you've given up that there's a God, right? Right. So you, mm -hmm. they have to demonstrate that a God exists. If they're going to say that God is causing things, any apologetic that starts with God caused this um, needs to be able to then go back and say, and how do we demonstrate that cause God exists or existed at the point that it caused this other thing? Because that is a necessary step. Otherwise, you just have a nifty hypothesis. Yeah. Yeah, I never really looked at it like that, uh, kind of go to the source of their claim before I just start hacking away at why the Bible is awful. Yeah, because it's like no matter what they say about why, you know, how they know God wrote the Bible or raised Jesus or created the universe, at the end of the day, when you get done with the entire thing, the question becomes, and if there isn't a God that exists or existed, then that is not the cause and your entire theory is wrong. So how do we go back and establish the cause is actually there to yeah. see if it's even possible that what you're saying is correct? Right? That'll definitely cool. get them off script. Well, uh, well, <laughs> and it's not, and that's so. not even the goal, right? The goal is just, hey, we need to go back and we need to confirm this thing. Right. It's sort of playing by the ground. Because rules, what, they're, right? what an apologetic really tends to do is say, and here's why I think that a God exists. And it's like, great, how do you plan to confirm it? Yeah. Because I think God has to be responsible for this thing. Great. How do you plan to confirm it? Because if you don't, then you just have a nifty idea and really there's there's no point believing it until we can actually confirm that this thing is doing all this nifty stuff you think it's doing. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be... Um, and if it's so responsible for everything, why is it so hard to show that it's doing all this stuff? I mean, it's got its hand in everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's got its hand yeah. in you finding a parking space. It's got its hand in massive genocides. It's got yeah. its hand in creating the entire unit. And nobody can say, hey, look, here it is. And at this point, I would, exactly. I would want to... Want to point you at the counter apologetics wiki, which is Iron Chariots, but it's offline these days, and so Aww, there's a lot of a lot of folks that are frustrated by that because it's been a good reference. But um, alrighty. Anyway, so yeah, I I really appreciate it, and um, I want to say thank you for the atheist um, discussion page. It's been like a healthy outlet. Oh, cool. So thank you guys for what you're doing. Yeah, that goes. Thanks, you know, Thomas. Kudos to ACA for that one because they've been promoting that. So thanks very much. Thank you. All right, we do have one caller that's been on since the beginning of the show, so I do definitely want to take that one. Um, the other two, we'll see how time goes. Uh, yeah. How are you for time? I'm good, but we got a lot of hungry folks here. Okay, and, and also the, the, the control room has to let me know, you know, how, how in okay. they're, We're they're some, in. Some, some audience they're response they've, to that. They've told me they're, <laughs> they're up for it. So let's go, let's, let's go with this one that's been waiting since the beginning of the show. Um, this is Jeff from Richmond, Virginia, who says, what is the best way to come out and should I even do it? And you're on with Tracy and Don. Hey, everybody. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Thanks for um, waiting. So... Thank you. Uh, so here is just a quick thing about me. I came from a, a Catholic family. Um, I consider myself agnostic. And uh, 
with my family, the older they get, uh, the more holier than thou they become, of course. And, uh, and as time goes on, especially my father, he's going to mass constantly and, you know, telling me things I should be doing and, you know, and, and all this kind of nonsense. And so dealing with that, can you give me some ideas maybe from, you know, yourself or from other callers that you you may have educated on this? What is the best way to, when, when discussions of religion come up that, you know, that you can explain to somebody that, hey, look, I'm sorry, but I don't believe in this. Okay. This is what I believe. Uh, how, how would you approach that? Well, that let me let me just ask for a little bit of context here. So, first of all, um, about mm-hmm. how old are you? What are you, what's the age range you in there? Are you like I'm I'm in my forties. Okay, so you don't live at home, probably. Is that, no. Okay, no. so you live on your own. You're in your forties. Dad's yep. like hitting you up about religious discussion all the time. Is that about what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Dad's inviting conversation here now, but at the same time, Absolutely. And at, he's probably not going to like okay. the answer. <laughs> so, but at the same time, let's be fair to Dad here. He doesn't know you're an atheist, right? Yeah. Okay, so Dad exactly. thinks maybe you're on board with this stuff, and he doesn't think that he's being intrusive or like coming at you and and attacking your views or challenging you right. because he doesn't know what your views are. So Dad's coming at this thinking that you believe the thing you were raised in, and that y'all are on the same page, probably, right? Well. Not necessarily. Okay, good. This is what I need. Okay. Yeah. So, so basically, anytime we he gets on a religious discussion, as you know, about anything, I either kind of just bluff it off, like, "Hey, look, I don't want to hear it," or B, I will go into discussions with him about religion. In other words, giving him examples as to why he's wrong about something. Okay. As an example of this, the other day he was talking to me on the phone. I have a three-year-old son. And uh, and he said, have you got uh, Ryan baptized yet? And I said, no, we have we have not. And he goes, well, you know, you really need to be going and doing that, you know, because something can happen at any point And, you know, it wouldn't be good for him. And I simply told him, I said, listen, he's a three-year-old little boy uh, that runs around and has fun all day. Um, and the fact of the matter is, God forbid, if something did happen to him, dad, um, I don't think he's going to be going to the pits of hell, don't you? And then he'll just kind of laugh it off and then change the subject. So again, he knows when he talks to me that, I mean, I don't cower down to it, but again, I kind of throw my feelings on that. I believe what he says is nonsense, but I've never directly come out to him and said, Hey, look, you know, I just want to break the news to you here, but I think Catholicism is nonsense. Okay. And everything that I've been taught is nonsense. Okay, so right now, Dad sees you as sort of the the wayward Catholic, right? Like he right. thinks like you're right. not going to church like you should. Maybe you're not baptizing the kid, but he thinks that you should baptize the kid. And he's sort or of maybe he knows, and it's just not not being consciously talked about. Yeah, I mean, he's get he's getting some idea yeah. that you disagree with him on some levels. Right? How yeah. often is he bringing I, he knows this up? I never go to church. Right, but Do a lot of Catholics. No, to be fair, though, a lot of Catholics don't go to church. Right, so there's there's a lot of Catholics right. that are just like you know, my family's Catholic, sure. and I go to mass on special days or mm-hmm. whatever. So it's not unusual. There are right. cultural Catholics, right, who are just like that's my family, and it's just what we do. Like almost like cultural. Well, Jews. I even I even made a. Com- I, I'll tell you what I even made a comment to him not too long ago because you know he was 
you know, kind of what you were saying at the beginning of the show when you were reading the news reports about the Catholics right now, I, w- I was I was sitting there going, you all are so dead on the money because he was having the same conversation with me. And I just simply told him, I said, hey, Pop, look, you know what? I said, you want to know how to fix this problem, what they should be teaching these priests, cardinals, and bishops uh, that token oath as chastity to keep their hands off the altar boys. And he changed the subject real quick. So again, he 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 hears and he sees for me um, that I, I just I think it's complete nonsense. And I and I think you, you're right to a point too, to where you said he possibly does know without him directly coming out um, and asking me. And so, do you think at some point that when he starts in with these discussions about religion, that I should just sit down with him and have a heart to heart and say, look, you know. This is me. I don't Let know me if, tell you about me how I feel. Yeah, I don't know if it's necessary to have a big, long discussion. It sounds to me like when you challenge Dad, he kind of shuts up, right? He that's, does. That's what you're he describing. Does. So you come at him, and he just sort of shuts right. down. I wonder right. if it wouldn't just be sufficient instead of just saying, I don't believe my kid's going to go to hell, which is kind of rejecting part of what he believes and letting him know that you don't right. agree with it and you don't believe it. Um, maybe it would be yeah. sufficient to just say, you know, Dad, I just don't believe all this stuff. And maybe right. dad would just shut down and then you'd have to see what happens after that. Yeah. Like, does he keep bringing it up? And then if he does, you can right. just keep saying, yeah, you know, dad, I just don't believe all this stuff. And that could be the conversation, right? Dad brings up religion. You tell him you don't believe it. Dad shuts down and then you guys go have yeah. lunch. Well, I think the reason I probably, I think the reason I haven't, I think the reason that I haven't done it, that's why I was calling you guys. I, you know, it's kind of like where you were saying that some people who, who are atheists, you know, still have that fear of, of hell I have that fear, and I probably shouldn't, but I have that fear that my dad would think less of me or that he would be like, I can't, you know, you know what I'm saying? How You, you obviously yeah. don't want to lose I mean, you can't really control but that. One of the things I wanted to say is, I, you know, I think your father is afraid, and and I think that that may be motivating him. And so that might be a way, if, if you understand that, that might be a way for you to be a bit more compassionate uh, about your responses to him. Uh, um, okay. The the other thing yeah. that I want that really needs to be said is, um, don't expect that you're going to change somebody's mind. Um, it, um, right. You know, I th- I think that if you stick to facts about yourself that are that are true, yeah. um, I don't believe that that those sorts of things or this doesn't make sense to me. Uh, or I don't want to have these sorts of conversations or these, these sorts of things. Uh, I think if you stick to that and try to keep emotion out of it, uh, that those would be good, good guideposts for you, uh, in, in having a conversation like that. Um, religion tends to be an emotional topic and, uh, and, and religious people, uh, the religion is sort of part of their identity. And so it can feel to them like an attack, if uh, depending on how you're coming at this. Right. Uh, so even if that's not what you're intending, that may be the effect that that that, that happens. Yeah. Um, and right. so, I don't know. Uh, I would say own your own statements and use a lot of I statements, right? Like like instead, don't don't say yeah. I think what you believe is bunk. I think you know, just say I just don't you know I just don't believe what you believe there, Dad. Like, you know, and, I don't believe and I do, it. and I respectfully, I, I respectfully, you know, again, would would never say anything, you know, to yeah. to my father or any part of my family that, you know, that obviously would be negative, you know, towards Catholicism. But 
at the same time, too, you know, it's just really getting old uh, hearing constantly the the nonsense about how, you know— you should go to mass or you, you should pray or you should, you know, find, find a, a good church to go to and you should do this and you should do that. Right. And I'm, it's driving me nuts. But there again, at the same time, I'm also holding my beliefs in and, and I'm like, you know, yeah. it's like, I guess it would be like for a homosexual saying I'm coming out of the closet here. It's just so it makes me feel better about me. Well, there's a lot of analogies. Who I am. Right. And, and you need to so, have some boundaries in this relationship, you know. right? Because he right. may be stepping over some lines. And and uh, we've heard conversations where people have really gone way over these lines. Um, but but it may be that you just need to say, hey, I don't want to talk about religion with you. Um, maybe that's maybe that's the boundary. Yeah, um, you could go that route. Yeah. And agree to disagree. Okay. Uh, and and. That can go a long way, but but you sort of need to figure that out for yourself uh, as far as what what right. those boundaries are. Maybe maybe uh, think about what what per, what in particular uh, is bothering you about these conversations and have a conversation about <laughs> that issue. Uh, I think what's bothering him is he's constantly being hammered with religious ideology. <laughs> like, you yeah, got it. You, you got it. Okay. Got well, it. maybe. And, and you know, it, it's it's even bad enough too. Like for instance, and you know my. My mother and father are divorced, but my stepmother, I mean, she's a wonderful person. She <laughs> has the same feelings I do because, I mean, he's even telling her, well, you know, you're going to go to hell because you're not a Catholic. And, <laughs> yeah. and all this, and I'm going, oh, and, I, and I, I just told, I told my stepmom the other day, I said, well, you know what? If that's the case, hell's going to be an awfully crowded place. So I guess <laughs> I'll see right. you down there. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be there mean, to you know, greet you. Wait, hold, hold, for hold the climate, hell for the company. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> exactly. We'll wow. all be down there having a beer together. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think I would turn it into like a big long thing. I think I would just try a few little things like Don is saying, maybe just say, you know, I really don't, I really would rather not talk about religion with you or just, you know, like I don't really share your beliefs and I don't want to upset you or offend you but um you know it's probably not, not a good thing. idea if we talk about this because right. I, I don't agree with your views on this and it can be right. well, really hard with kids involved too oh yeah because there's always a <laughs> little bit is. of a tug of it, war there what, it, exactly and that and that's what makes it tough too i mean especially with that and it, it, it's one of those things that it makes you feel uncomfortable it's, you know it, it's kind of yes. like you know when, when you're having some religious fanatic that's constantly telling you, you know how unworthy you are and how you need to be saved, and I mean, yeah. it's so damn uncomfortable hearing that kind of crap. Yeah. You just want to strangle them, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I want to be respectful in yeah. the way in which I say it. But it's burning inside me to the point of yeah. well, now I'm starting. Uh, yeah, to be a and, that, and that's not going to be good because then when things come out, they come out bad, right? So it's always right. good Don't to talk about. Right. Yeah, yeah. You, you you draw those boundary lines early at the first sign of something wrong, so that it doesn't turn in into a, oh, this is the hundredth time you violated this. And the other person's like, violated what? What? Was there a boundary? Right? Like, they don't know. So with you, you know, like I say, just something like, you know, hey, it's probably not a good idea if we talk about this because I really don't share your views on it, you know, and unless you want to get into it, um, it's probably good we talk about something else. Well, let me let me just ask one quick thing because I know you guys have got to go. But we got a couple people waiting. How how did you guys personally um, deal with coming out with with your your relatives and things like that how, what was their response i don't think we're, when you said, we hey. had to really i mean i don't think don did you come thought. out well my my family was not particularly religious so right. so um 
Um, okay. There wasn't a big issue there yeah. uh, as far as the religion thing. Um, <clears throat> but uh, okay. you, you might yeah. call again another day and ask the different yeah. hosts. Uh, I moved I'm, away. Like I just moved away and didn't have to deal with it. My mother was kind of religious and then she kind of got less religious as she got older. And, you know, so it was just like not even a big issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Good. Well, listen, guys, thank you so much for taking my call. I greatly appreciate it. You definitely give me a lot to think about. No problem. Thanks. Okay. Good luck. Bye-bye. Okay, so we have a few uh, that we could probably do quickly. They're telling us we have to wrap within a few minutes, so we'll go ahead and hit this. Um, let's see. So let's go for number four. Let's take Terry in Pennsylvania. How do you know there's not a higher power? Um, this is to Donald Tracy. Hi. Um, I don't know that there's not a higher power. I don't know that there's not a higher power. Okay. That's basically my question. Um, I actually grew up 12 years, um, really strict Catholic. (laughs) I just been on with another Catholic, which is, um, funny because, um, but but we would say, uh, just to add, we would say that the time to believe in something is when there's sufficient evidence. So, mm-hmm. so the question would be, what evidence is there for a God or a higher power, and and is it compelling and convincing enough to accept it and and then right. to deal with the implications in your life for that belief? Because it's yeah, not I mean, it's not a belief that go, comes without implications, right? So, if I'm going to devote myself to this concept, I need I need some sort of reason to believe it. Um, the idea that I don't know that it's not true isn't really sufficient to make me believe it, right? I don't know that it's not true that there's a primate in the woods in the North American continents, but it doesn't make me believe in Bigfoot. I, I don't know that there's not a thing, <laughs> right? I mean, well, no, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be not trying to be funny or, or cute here. I'm just saying that the fact that I can't say for sure that it's not there isn't sufficient to make me believe that it is. Uh, yes, my I'm in a situation. I guess like you were, Tracy, because uh, I've been out of the Catholic Church for quite a few years, and my beliefs are sort of I'm sort of in that ten year period that you were in, where you left your religion and you still believed in yeah yeah a god. So I've sort of been looking into Buddhism and even Hinduism, and I meditate and breathe, do deep breathing exercises. Yeah, yeah. And I've had some I've had some experiences that are. Well, otherworldly, like meditation and seeing visions and things like that. Sure. And it sort of blows my mind sometimes of what I see when I meditate. And that's why I think there's a higher power. It's personal experience. I'm not saying that God appeared to me or anything like that, but just personal things that I've envisioned. And not doing any drugs or anything, just deep breathing. No, I understand. You know, focusing in on it. Like but, a, I mean, even if you were doing drugs, isn't, yeah. it, isn't it possible <laughs> that these epiphanies are epiphanies about yourself, right? Like, every night you go to sleep and you have dreams, right? Yeah. Now, when you have a dream, mm-hmm. does anything ever happen in the dream that surprises you? Oh, sure. Okay, yeah, sure, all the time. But isn't it your own brain that's generating the dream? Yes. How are you surprised by something that you're thinking and you're creating? Right. There's a there's this thing, right? Our brain, a lot of our brain is not conscious. And so the conscious brain kind of gets aware of stuff after the fact a lot of times. And so we have a big part of our brain that just works um, and does stuff and comes up with stuff that the conscious brain really doesn't clue into at all or sometimes later. So you have this impulse to do a thing and then your your brain basically tells you right the conscious part. Hey, you would like to get a piece of cheesecake. 
And then you think, man, I would like to get a piece of cheesecake. And then you go get a piece of cheesecake, or you don't. Or you say, man, I'd like to get a piece of cheesecake, but I'm on my new diet and I can't get that piece of cheesecake. Then you put a halt on it, right? But that impulse comes from a part of your brain that you're not aware of. And then you become aware of the impulse and then you act or don't act on it. But the the thing is, your brain can do a lot of things, including tell you stories all night long that you have no idea how it's creating it or that it's going to create it or where this turn is going to happen or, wow, that I didn't see that coming. And this is all little stories that your brain is telling to itself, right? You wake up and you remember them and you're just like, wow, how did my brain do all that? But your brain can make you – I have epiphanies in dreams. I think we had a discussion, um, me and, and Phil, I think we're talking about this on the last time I was on, where you can actually go to sleep. Maybe it wasn't Phil. Maybe it was something else. But you can go to sleep and you can um, come up with a solution by the time you wake up. Like you wake up at 2 a.m. going, that's the name of that actor I couldn't remember. Or that's how I need to fix that schedule so it'll work. Or, you know, and you come up with these ideas because your brain is still processing stuff while you're sleeping, but you're not even aware of it. So I think when you're looking at meditation, you're kind of looking inward, right? It's like an inward look. Yes. And I think that what's happening here is that you're having, I believe you're having epiphanies and I believe you are having insights and surprising things, but don't confuse that with someone else having to be there to tell it to you. Sometimes you can have an epiphany about yourself or about others or about a situation just by a part of your brain working on it that you're not even aware of. Okay. I can understand that. Yeah. Just something to think about. Yeah, something to think about, because I think I'm in that period of the 10-year period you talk about, and I'm sort of like in the middle of that period where I'm still searching. I think there is a power power just because of some things that I've experienced, but I'm not totally convinced of it. Maybe that higher power is you. Wouldn't that be a great twist? There you go. That'd be the great ending, right? Like, oh my gosh, and I found it. It's like that Harry Potter scene, right? Where he's like, my dad's going to make the Patronus. My dad's going to make the Patronus. And then at the end of it, he's like, it was me. I made the Patronus. All the time, it was me. Well, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Sure. That was my question. Let me me say one thing real quick. Uh, Mm -hmm. This idea of a higher power is sort of a, uh, it's kind of a catch-all. It's kind of a way of saying I don't know mm-hmm. and 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 sort of attributing some sort of deep reason to it that that maybe you don't understand and and maybe it's best to just back up and say well I had this thing that was mysterious and I just don't understand it yeah. uh, and that's maybe a bit more honest yeah. than than attributing it to something I don't know yeah. yeah but I think sometimes people need to believe that they are more powerful than they understand right people need to give themselves credit religion kind of strips us of that right we always think that if something's awesome that it has to be a hero or a god or it has to be some magical right, thing right. and it's like really we need to take that back and say that human beings can do this and you don't have to be a hero you don't have to be a god you don't have to be you know, problems something human, magical you you are human and maybe that is like the biggest thing that you can be. I think it's pretty awesome to be human. I so agree. That's why, you know, <laughs> Yay, humans. Came out of the, the Catholic, <laughs> Catholic religion. Yeah, and we can do I some crappy things too. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying we don't yeah, do some crap, but, you know, there you well, go. thank you for your call. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Have you. a great night. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. And I feel bad. We we were at six thirty. We did have to let somebody go. Yeah, I would yeah. have synopsed we, we it, went long and I probably could have even answered off. But they're telling us now there's is our, a limit to long. Yeah, the, the crew has to eat too. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so thank gonna, you to our crew. Thank you to the audience. Thanks to the viewers. Is it those who stuck with yeah, us. Thanks Let's for go have donating. Some pizza. Thanks for everything. Right. Thanks to my co-hosts. <laughs> there they are. That was the the people that make it happen. Hi. 
come true. Because now you can get new bedding and bath from the Home Decorators Collection, exclusively from HomeDepot.com. Get everything from your dream pillows to Egyptian cotton sheets. Save up to 25% on select bedding and bath styles from the Home Decorators Collection. And enjoy free delivery plus easy in-store returns. More saving, more kinds of doing. Ballot on select items online only through July 21st. Free delivery on select items $45 or more. Enter promo code HDLennons15 at purchase for an extra 15% off. Visit HomeDepot.com for more information. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.